Good morning, everybody. Um, it's good to see you. I'm in sort of a different place than I usually am because, <clears throat> well, because I thought it was easier if I was standing up because I tend to pace a lot. Um, so some of you have already said Merry Christmas, which I want to say also to you. Merry Christmas because it's still Christmas. It is the 10th day of Christmas. Um, since nobody got to come over to my house this year, I'll give you a little tour still real quick. So we're here in the living room. So here under the TV, you can kind of see we have a little Christmas village over there. They're just kind of cool. Uh, this is our microphone left over from our New Year's Eve karaoke party. Um, we have our Christmas tree here with the garland here. And then we have our mantle with a nice sleigh. And our, we hung our stockings back up because they're really pretty. So we like to enjoy the warmth and the celebration uh, of Christmas for 12 days, uh, keeping our decorations up. We continue to open presents. Um, we started this, this practice like a number of years ago when our kids were, were younger, uh, and it, it's kind of been nice, but I'll tell you, it's, it gets challenging to continue to celebrate Christmas for 12 full days because the world moves on, right? The world kind of just leaves you by. I went to the grocery store on New Year's Eve because I had to pick up a few things, and the Valentine stuff was already out, right? And it's so, which, you know, I get it. They've got to they've sell stuff. They're a store, but... Um, but the thing that really broke my heart was like all the decorations were down and the music that was playing was back to the regular music. It wasn't the Christmas stuff. And so, you know, the world sort of moves on, um, especially right around day six, day seven, right? Because of New Year's. New Year's is a big part of the, the celebration in this country. We, we have a huge um, tradition of celebrating New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And, um, and this year in particular, that's been... Uh, it's had a unique flavor, and I'm sure all of you have noticed this on social media and other things. It seems like most of us just can't, uh, we just couldn't get rid of 2020 fast enough, right? We were just ready to be done with 2020. Um, and I tell you what, I had a little bit of struggle with that at first. I was thinking, man, that just seems really a little cynical, and, and especially because I knew people who, um, particularly, who had had children. Imagine if you had a baby that was born in 2020. For the rest of your life, the year 2020 was, is going to have a special meaning, right? A good meaning. Um, so I thought, man, I don't want to just say 2020 was all terrible because I know lots of people have good things. But then I realized there's an interesting spin on this. I think everybody who is saying, hey, let's get rid of 2020 and move on to 2021, honestly, that is an expression of hope. I really believe that saying 2021 is going to be better is all of us clinging to this idea of hope, that there is something positive to look forward to. Like Keith said a minute ago, this will end. It will. At some point, it will end, and we will be together sharing coffee, smiling, hugging, and laughing, and talking in person. And, and that's hopeful to say, hey, 2021 is going to be a, a great thing. Um, now, I have done today what I have not done in many, many, many years of teaching. Uh, I've prepared an outline. So uh, Keith or Melanie or somebody, whoever has it, uh, can drop this in the chat box. Keith is going to do that. Um, it's a PDF, so it'll, it'll show up in the chat box. Just click it, download it, uh, and you can actually see my entire message outline with, with scripture verses on it and everything. Because I don't have a whiteboard here at the house um, like Keith. Keith has a portable whiteboard he keeps in his small hatchback so anywhere he goes he can just pull out a full-size whiteboard multiple um, multiple whiteboard. multiple whiteboards uh, so I'm, I'm giving you guys uh, an outline so you can kind of see my points as I go along it will also help me to move a little bit faster um, so take a look at your outlines and I want to look at the, the the very top verse that I think I, I was drawn to when I was thinking about this idea that 2021 there's a little bit of hope infused in this, right? And in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, rejoice in our confident hope. 
There was this hope back then, right? And, and we have that same kind of hope today. But listen to what he says next. He, he kind of gives us a prescription of what we need to do to embody that hope. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Now, there will be trouble in 2021, no doubt, right? Um, just like there's trouble every year. So he says, be patient in trouble and keep on praying. That's the first thing. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. That's the second thing. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And that's the third thing. We're going to talk about those three things today, not in that order, but those three, I think, are the key practices for us to make 2021 better than 2020. Um, It's honestly not the fault of the year. 2020 is not to blame. The events of 2020, some of them were pretty horrific, right? There were some pretty terrible things, some events that happened. But honestly, it's up to you and me and how we approach 2020 to make it better. And I think you guys are all tracking with me because I was watching your prayers and you guys, you guys are praying for the things that I'm actually going to teach on today. So I love that sort of um, uh, synergy. That's really, really awesome. The first challenge that I have for you guys uh, to make 2021 better than 2020 is I want to challenge all of us to spend at least two minutes in silence every day. Two minutes in silence. Now, this is a practice that, that some of us got used to. Uh, if you joined us for the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality uh, class that we did, we spent eight weeks journeying through a, a devotional book alongside that class that had us spending two minutes in silence at the beginning and the end of every single devotional reading that we did. We began to talk about and understand how silence creates space for God to do things in our lives. And so some of us have, have already embraced that practice, and I love that. Um, some of us, maybe are, it, maybe we didn't do so well with the silence with that, or maybe, maybe some of you did, weren't part of that class, and that's okay. Um, spending two minutes in silence, uh, I think, can really help us tra- begin to track with prayer. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you a few verses here. In Psalm 37, the psalmist says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. That, to me, is a beautiful picture of silence, the kind of prayer that we're talking about. Being before God in silence is about waiting patiently for God to act. Sometimes when we pray, we think that we're the ones doing the acting, that we're trying to make things happen by our words that we're giving to God. But when we sit in silence, we're waiting for God to act. Grace 2021. And look at Jesus. In Luke chapter 5, it says that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Now, we don't know if he used words or not. We have some record of prayers that Jesus uh, gives in the Gospels where he does use words. But I imagine he sometimes also went into the wilderness for that silence and that solitude, to just be quiet before God. In Romans, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit prays for us. When, When we don't know what to pray, when we don't have the words, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, prays for us with groanings, it says. Groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And then he goes on to say that God understands those groanings of the Holy Spirit. So we don't, sometimes we don't need words to pray. And I love this quote. It's not scripture, but uh, Richard Foster is a great Christian writer about, about prayer and about disciplines and other things. Uh, and Richard Foster says, listening to God is the necessary prelude to intercession. If we want to intercede, if we want to pray for something or ask for something, listening is the necessary prelude. That's really, really amazing. So I want to share three things about prayer really quickly. First of all, I want to reinforce that silence is prayer without words, right? So 
Don't, don't think of silence as a different category from prayer. It is prayer, and we can pray without words. When I was growing up in church, um, one of, the, um, one of the, the ways to conceptualize prayer that was taught to all of us as children and, and young teenagers was that prayer is just simply talking to God. Uh, it's just talking to God. And, and it was a really a beautiful framework because it helped, us, um, it helped us get away from the notion that we had to learn special words or have some sort of special formulaic approach. We were taught, you can just talk to God like it's a conversation. And that's true, and it's beautiful, and it's a really helpful framework. What I missed with that framework was that sometimes prayer is not talking. Sometimes prayer is listening. Sometimes prayer is sitting in silence. So don't be fooled to think that you have to fill your time in prayer with words. You can sit silently, just like the psalmist did, just like Jesus did, just like Paul encourages us to do. The second thing there on your outline under, under number one, this is B, silence with Jesus resets our brain from all the stress. Now, I don't know as much about brain science as our good friend Jess Sinarski, um, but I've read a little bit, I know a little bit about how this works and have recently introduced uh, the practice of mindfulness in some of my classes at the university because I've seen the stress that a lot of my students are under. And, and there's this big movement of mindfulness, right, which is, which is not prayer, but we're going to talk about that in a second. And the mindfulness movement is to say that, look, we spend our lives in, in, in our modern day state, we spend much of our time in this fight or flight mode induced by stress, chronic stress, which keeps us consistently in fight or flight mode, which floods our body with, um, with adrenaline uh, and, and other kinds of stress hormones. Um, the fight or flight response actually shuts off certain body functions, like it minimizes digestion because it's trying to channel resources to whatever we need to run away from that saber-toothed tiger, right, if we're a caveman. Like the idea of fight or flight is this ancient, ancient thing in our brain that, that puts us in a state of, of stress, right? Here's the beauty of this. God, who is the author of life, who is the author of scripture, who is the designer of our human bodies, understood from the beginning of time how our brains were wired. And I believe that prayer, as it is described in scripture, both with words and without words, but specifically silence before God, as modern science is now showing us, can actually reset that fight or flight response, put us in a grounded, peaceful state to be able to live our lives the way God wants us to. So I think that looking at modern science and, and, and exploring the benefits of, of mindfulness and meditation, to me that's a direct link to prayer because I believe God invented that in the first place. So silence before God is gonna help, help you with stress, it's gonna help you with anxiety, it's gonna help you with some of those things. So silence I think is a beautiful way to do that. And then the third thing about silence is that silence is actually inviting Jesus to transform us from the inside out. When you spend time before God in silence, you don't have to use words and ask him to fix this and fix that. And you don't have to say, oh, God, give me the strength to go out and be a better person. Sometimes you can just sit and say, Jesus, transform me. And you sit in silence and the Holy Spirit will do the work. So first challenge for this new year, I challenge you to practice two minutes of silence every day. If you're already doing that, try to stretch it to three or five minutes of silence every day. I'm convinced that even if you have the busiest schedule in the world and maybe you know, you've know got kids running all over the house, I, I'm pretty sure that there's a way to find two minutes where you can just tell the kids, listen folks, mommy's not available, two minutes, take care of yourselves. Or maybe, okay, husband or wife, you're on child duty right now and so I'm going to take my two minutes of silence, right? So you can find two minutes. If you have been doing this already, 
maybe stretch it to a bit more, maybe try to grow the practice. But I think that's a really good uh, place to begin. So that's the first thing. The second thing, okay, kids, by the way, you got that. That was the first thing, right? Pray, two minutes of silence every day. So you're on track, you're gonna come up with a motion for, for that, okay. So our second thing that I'd like us to try to do as a community, I want us to try to connect with others every day. And I'm not talking about a meaningful, deep connection. I'm talking about a simple reaching out and stay connected to people outside of your household. I want to look at 1A. I'm sorry, 2A. It's important for us to understand that we were designed for community, but we're also prone to division. Now, when I say we were designed for community, we can look at the earliest story in Scripture. The Genesis stories at the beginning of that book were the ancient Hebrew people trying to wrap their brain around uh, uh, the nature of God and the nature of man and the relationship between God and man and between God and the earth. It, it, was, it was trying to figure out how all this stuff works and putting on paper the stories that sort, of, that sort of codify that, right? And in that very first story, when God creates man, what does he say? God says in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, I believe that not only applies to men and women, as we see later in the story that God creates woman. I believe that also applies to family because that was the beginning of the family structure. And I believe that also applies to our community. Because to be honest with you, the nuclear family, the biological family, Jesus exploded that in Matthew. Some of the struggle with this idea in Matthew that Jesus expands the family because we feel like he's turning his back on his family. There's a story in Matthew where Jesus is teaching and people come to him and say, hey Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they're calling for you. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? And then this verse in Matthew 12, 49 and 50, he pointed to his disciples and he says, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He's expanding the view of family. So we're created for this. We're created for community, for connection, for family. But we're also prone to division. A few chapters after that verse, uh, that, that verse in Genesis that I just read to you, um, a few chapters after that creation story, there's another story about um, all the people of the world come together and they try to build a great tower to get up to God, to be as powerful as God is. And God comes down and says, we can't, we can't let you fall to that sin. So... We're going to destroy the tower, we're going to scatter people, and we're going to confuse the languages. And again, this is the Hebrew people trying to make sense of, well, wait a minute, why, if we are so in need of each other, we're dependent on one another for community and for survival, why then are there all these differences among us, languages and cultures and, 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 and all that stuff, right? We're prone to division. And if you want proof, look no further than the events of 2020, right? We have been completely divided by things that in all honesty shouldn't have divided us as Jesus followers. <laughs> Think about that. If anything could have united us, the idea that a, that a specific group of people was being mistreated and had been for hundreds of years, Christians should have rose up and said, yes, we want to fight for justice for that group of people. But instead, the racial justice issue and the Black Lives Matter movement have divided us. And some people are saying, hey, you're calling me a name. No, I'm not calling you a name. I'm saying we need to fight for justice. Well, wait, maybe those people haven't been mistreated. Maybe they have been mistreated. Maybe this is right. Maybe this is wrong. And we've been divided rather than united in the cause. A global pandemic. Guess what? This is not the first time Christians have faced one of those. In fact, the growth of the early Christian church in the first and second centuries was largely because of the great plagues of those years. Because the Romans and everybody else were throwing the sick people out in the streets and saying, go die somewhere else. 
And guess who picked him up and brought him inside and nursed them? The Christians. The Christians, at the risk of their own lives, to their own detriment, brought people in. Do you know Christians invented hospitals, for goodness sake? The whole idea of, of health care was invented by Jesus followers who said, we need an organized way to care for the sick. And yet here we have a pandemic where people are getting sick and people are dying. And instead of doing that, many people are instead responding with, with division and with, with, I disagree with that. And, oh, that's a hoax. And I think you, you can't tell me what to do. And I have freedoms. And we should be united. And then, of course, a, a political season which has divided us, which we know from Scripture we certainly shouldn't be pledging our allegiance to a political party. We don't pledge allegiance to, to, to Rome, to Caesar. We don't pledge allegiance to Babylon. And we don't pledge allegiance to the Republicans or the Democrats. But we've, yet, we've let that divide us. We've let it say, you know what? Maybe we're both Christians, but you think differently and you believe differently, so we're not willing to, to cross that divide. We can't do that. So we're designed for community, but we have a tendency... We have a tendency to be divided. But, as I just read to you, Jesus teaches that we're a family. We don't turn our back on family. These are my mother and brothers and sisters. You are my sisters and brothers and mothers and fathers. That is the reality of Jesus' teachings. We are a family. And then in Hebrews it says, Let us not neglect our meeting together, but encourage one another. That's why we need each other because we build one another up and we strengthen one another. In times when things are getting us down, when we're frustrated about the state of our world or when we're struggling in our, with our own health and well-being or when, when we're struggling with other things, we need each other to encourage, to build up, to strengthen. That's how we were designed. So we can't turn our back on each other. But here's the thing. It's hard, right? <laughs> We just, we just had a beautiful prayer. What an amazing, beautiful prayer that we just heard about this disconnectedness that we feel because of the digital life. But you know, it's not all that different. History actually has uh, shown us that, that there have been times when it's been even harder to be connected, right? Um, so it wasn't that long ago, but when my wife and I were in college, we, we met in high school, started dating, and then we went to college. We were 800 miles apart. And so after a couple of months of, of $600 long-distance bills, my parents were like, uh-uh, not doing that anymore. So, like, really, we, legit, we didn't have email. We were right on the cusp, but we did not have email. We didn't have text messaging. We didn't have free long-distance or cell phones or anything. We, we had to write letters. We had to write letters. How archaic. <laughs> so recently, for our 25th wedding anniversary, I pulled out all these old letters from, from our college days, and I put them in a nice binder and, and sheet protector. So we've been kind of flipping through and reading our college letters uh, back and forth. It's been pretty fun. Um, but think about that. How hard is it to stay connected when you can only write a letter to somebody? An entire generation of Americans, mostly men, during World War II, were shipped off to the front lines and, and on boats, and all they could do is write letters to their loved ones back home. And half of those were redacted because of security reasons, right? We've, we've lived through things like this before. We've got to find ways to connect. It's hard, yes, but it's been hard at other times in history, too. Zoom is annoying and maybe gets tiring, but we at least can see each other's faces. I love that. We can call, we can text, you know, we can, we can FaceTime, we can, we can use social media, we can use all these ways to stay connected. So my second challenge is that I want you to reach out to somebody who is not in your immediate household every day, simply, a simple text message to say, hey, I'm thinking of you, how you doing? Maybe it's a social media, uh, probably not a post because that's not really connecting, but maybe a comment on somebody's post. Say, hey, I read your post. I really like that you shared that. Thinking of you. 
right? Somehow get connected, reach out, and remember that this will be over someday and we are a family and we need to stay connected. So first thing, spend two minutes of silence every day. Second thing, connect with somebody else outside your household every day in a simple way. And the third thing, finally, is to be generous every day. Embody a spirit of generosity. This has been in Scripture from the very beginning. So I don't need to do a lengthy exposition of the Bible, hopefully, to convince you that giving to the needy and helping the poor is an important part of of the way Scripture has been written from the beginning. Look at the the law in the book of Leviticus early on in in the, the Jewish faith, in the Hebrew faith. Leviticus 15 says, Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly. For the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. Always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. It was a command from the beginning. Jesus reinforced it. Paul reinforces it. The command to us as followers of Jesus is to give to the poor, to help those in need. It's simple. Look at what John says in, in, his, in his letter, 1 John 3. John says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? How can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. And I love that at the very end there, he's not necessarily saying you don't love God. What he's saying is let's show the truth by our actions. Almost as if to say, look, the truth is, people, I know you love God. But the fact that that you're not acting on it is calling that into question. As Jesus said, they're going to know you're my disciples by how you love one another. So act on your love by giving to the poor, giving to the needy. And then Paul says in Acts, he says, Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The interesting thing about that quote is, I I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure that's not in the Gospels. We, We didn't find that anywhere in the Gospels. Paul quotes Jesus, so it must have been a teaching that was passed down so so profoundly, so, so widespread that, that Paul heard and repeated this teaching, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's a really, really cool, uh, cool thought. So generosity is simply this. It's the way we fulfill God's command. He said, care for the poor. The reason God puts that in scripture is because there are poor among us and those poor need to be taken care of. That's true. But there's a second part to that. There's a second effect to that. And again, I'm going to go back to my my belief that God created humans. He knows how we're wired. He understands our brain and emotional chemistry and how it all works. Modern science has indicated to us that generosity literally helps you. Being generous actually improves your mental and emotional health. Being generous reduces your stress and anxiety. And being generous actually contributes to a longer life. So science is underscoring the fact that being generous is something that helps us. As we give, we are made whole. We are actually, uh, our life is improved. This is God's blessings on us for being generous. So I think there's a twofold thing there. So we give because people need it and it's the right thing to do. But we also give and as we give, it helps us to be fulfilled. 
And finally, uh, letter C there under number three is we can be generous with our time, our resources, and our money. Obviously, we're talking about money when we talk about giving money to the poor, to the needy, but there's also ways to be generous with our time. Maybe we give our time to, to some great nonprofit organizations that do great work, right? Like many of us give our time uh, to Family Promise. Maybe that's some way that, that you, you give by actually spending time uh, in that endeavor. Um, we give our resources. A few years ago, uh, here at LifePath, we started a, a sharing directory. Um, we haven't really um, promoted it very much, so it's, it's been a little stagnant lately, but, but the, the idea is simple. It's if you have expertise, knowledge, or resources, or, or items to share, then uh, you can actually just go on this list and put that out there, and then if people need something, they go to the list and, and they can find it. It's actually pretty easy to find. If, if you have, um, uh, it's just lifepathchurch.org slash sharing sharing lifepathchurch.org slash sharing and there's a way to add to the list and there's a way to um, to read the list so you can share your resources there's a, there are ways to be generous in 2021 and it's helpful for you to be generous in 2021 so those are my three things again they're, they're not new this is nothing groundbreaking here folks it's stuff you already know it's stuff that Keith and I've been teaching on for years but if we can do these things I think that 2020 we can have a better perspective a more hopeful perspective a different perspective spend two minutes of silence every day reach out to someone outside of your immediate household every day and find a way to be generous with your time, your resources, or your money every single day.